Oh, yeah. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody. They love us. <laughs> it's so fun. <laughs> all night. Yeah, yeah. We'll be here all week. Or all week. All week. All week. Oh, Lynn's leaving early, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the Green Divas radio show. You're on with Green Diva Meg. Green Dude Paul. And Green Diva Lynn. Yay. We got it right. Yeah, we're pretty good, right? Yeah. We know our own names. Mm-hmm. That's a start, That's right? Good. We know mm-hmm. who's a dude and who's a diva. Well, I'll tell you, I've been on vacation, and I'll, I need a vacation from my vacation. It was a little... I need a vacation from your vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I have to say, and, and a big, big thank you to Green Diva Lynn, who did hold down the fort wow. and keep things really rocking on the Green Diva site while we were gone. She's amazing. We love well, her. Well, I was more talking about the cockroaches that... Yeah, you know, and I'm just like still kind yeah. of traumatized. <laughs> they were the big ones. <laughs> well, we rented an RV from a company called Cruise America. That's a recreational vehicle to Rec- those of yeah. you who don't speak acronyms. Don't speak our language. And, you know, that's not something that I've ever done before. It's not a particularly Green Diva thing, but where we were going in the very, very top of Maine, um, literally... There was no place to stay within like 50 miles mm. because there was a huge event and it was booked up a year and a half ago. Wow. So this is the only way for us to travel up there, stay up there, bring the dog, blah, blah, blah. Okay, there was a solar panel on the top so I can justify the amazing amount of gasoline we burned. <laughs> I'm sorry, Earth. Um, so don't, don't tell on me. But uh, anyway, so it was a really kind of great experience until like – we discovered that we had traveling companions. We had mm, stowaways. Stowaways. Yeah, and they were not small, but very large cockroaches. And I, I really, yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh. oh my God. It was so creepy. A harrowing experience. Is that, is that how it was at night? Yeah, what well, sort you of. Can yeah. hear them. So we, Worse than a safari. Yeah, I'm not even going to like go into detail other than the fact I, that they were at least two inches long, detail. right? That's enough there? Mm-hmm. It gets worse. But I survived. We survived, and we're cockroach-free. And um, I'm not going to visit you until you know for sure you didn't bring any, any of those into your home. Oh, no, I'm telling you, like we, nothing is passing that front door until we have thoroughly investigated it. So, And we've been busy with that all day. And, and Paul's itching. He's just like, you know. Stop talking about this. I'm sitting in this house. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Gotta go. Nope. The green, the green Diva Studio is all clean. But it was um, otherwise a fantastic journey, and we got to experience some nature, amazing loons at night, and this one lake we stayed. The lake was like glass, wow. and there was a super moon, mm-hmm. and all you could hear was the loons. Ah, the but, loons and the moons. That's the loons and the moons, the ask, right? I love the sound of loons. Yeah, it, it was extremely comforting, despite everything else. <laughs> well, welcome back. We're glad you're back in one piece. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, you know, it was a sad day and a sad week. Uh, by the time people hear this, we, we all heard about Robin Williams, and that really upset me more than I, I thought it would. I mean, I didn't know him personally, but, um, you know, as a... As someone who has struggled with alcohol and addiction in my past, and I know many, many alcoholics and, and, and addicts who are recovering and have struggled, and I've known many who have not made it, who have mm-hmm. killed themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so sad. It truly is. Because it's one of those, you know, permanent solutions to a temporary state of mind that often 
you know, um, yeah, I just, he couldn't feel the love, I guess. I don't know. But it struck me as pretty hard. And then we had a fabulous interview with some filmmakers that that you're going to hear later in the show who, so it was just extra kind of deep because it was all about green burial. Fabulous documentary called A A Will for the Woods. And you follow this this gentleman's journey, and he knows he's going to die, and he makes a very you know poignant and passionate gesture that the end of his life and his burial not have a negative impact on the planet. Wow. And you really literally watch this journey, watch him go. Th- he and his partner, wife, significant other go through this journey. And so I got a chance to talk to a couple of the filmmakers and and about this journey for them, and, and what it was mm-hmm. like to be present for that. Wow. Yeah. Heavy stuff. It's a little but, heavy. Yeah, but, but very then, interesting. It's but all I wanna, touches us all. But I want to say that, that I th- kind of went into it thinking, oh, I'm already bummed out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't watch this. But I wasn't bummed out by the film at all. It's actually, um, you know, strangely comforting. So I want to hmm. encourage people to listen to the interview and, and, and try to find a way to see this film because it, it's... it's um, it's kind of inspirational, actually. It's all about regeneration. Well, it is. And we have some other fun segments today, including Eco Style with Star Varton, which uh, <clears throat> we talk about, you know, the adoption of eco fashion versus the adoption of organic food, you know, sort of how mm. it took a while to get organic food rocking and rolling and why it's a little slower for people to really buy into eco-fashion. It's a very interesting conversation. We do a health and beauty segment with John David, our um, mm-hmm. mafia hairdresser. That's right. We got to speak to him before. So he's talking he's talk to us today, uh, today about um, toxins in our hair products that we need to avoid and how we can kind of take action with that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the eco-sexy segment with... Ooh-la-la. La. Ooh la, with Stephanie Weiss. And we're talking about natural, you know, green and natural lubricants. And at some point, we're going to have a giveaway. Of and at her, some point, um, we have to take a picture of Paul's face because he's really classic <laughs> right now. He's like, okay, what do I say about this? Uh, I think I'm silent partner on this one. <laughs> so, But, yeah, be on the lookout for the giveaway. Uh-huh. And I just want to give a shout-out to BuyGreen.com, our fantastic sponsor who helps – helps us do what we do, and you can find all kinds of products that you can feel good about at buygreen.com. Great rating system. So uh, everybody, stay tuned. We have a My Earth 360 coming up and Mm -hmm. lots, lots more. Want to understand what climate change is really all about? Want to get the latest environmental news? Listen to the Green Divas My Earth 360 report and hear it all. From WTF to encouraging news and ways that you can take action for the earth. This segment is sponsored by TrueGoods.com because shopping should be fun, not frightening. TrueGoods helps you make simple choices for healthier, safer, cleaner living. Tell truth, shop good at TrueGoods.com. Yeah, another My Earth 360 Green Divas report with 
Green Diva Lynn. Yay! Yeehaw! So what? I have no idea what you're talking about today. What is going on? Sometimes I I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, Someone had to say it. I know. Well, even though California is experiencing their third driest year on record, and nearly 80% of the state is experiencing extreme or exceptional drought conditions, water is still being extracted for bottled water oh. and fracking. Oh. We, if you drink bottled water, uh, please make sure it's not Dasani, Aquafina, Arrowhead, or Crystal Geyser because they use water from California. And that, I don't know, that's just not cool. No, that just seems counterintuitive, right? They're mm. they're they're yeah. having a drought, but they're bottling water and shipping it to idiots in the East Coast or something. Exactly. Hey, I resemble. I that mean, it's one. good for emergencies like the emergency they had in Toledo because right. of the algae blooms right. on Lake Erie. That makes sense. You know, they need to have water in in that kind of an emergency situation. Right. But we don't need to be taking it from a drought stricken area. Well, especially when it's it's due to rain so hard here that you said that they're actually Yeah, they've been adjusting the storm drains to get ready for the volume. Yeah, I wish they could col- they should be collecting it and shipping it to California. Yeah, right. So if they're there was a, a way to do that. They're going to build a pipeline, build a water pipeline, right? Yeah. Sounds so much a safer, collection. doesn't it? It does. They need a collection drain. Um, well, and the other thing, too, to think about is that uh, at least Coca-Cola, when they, their bottling plants that produce Dasani use about 1.63 liters of water for every liter of beverage produced in California. So, And a little bit of a WTF factoid is that California is the only western state that doesn't have groundwater regulation. So if you happen to be a water company and you drill and discover water, guess what? It's yours. It's, it's all yours. yours. It's all wow. No problem. Yours. Crazy. Then so, the fracking in California is just fracked up. Um, it requires <laughs> 100. What the that's frack? An overused, so it's w, frack? WT frack. Yeah. It requires 140,000 to 150,000 gallons of water out of the water cycle for every frack job. So I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to be, you know, just hold off on that. Um, they yeah. did shut down 11 fracking wells in July, but there's still, I think, uh, over 100 other wells in California. So what the frack, people? Exactly. Put a moratorium on that fracking business. Yeah. Well, that's plus the fact that not only are they taking water, but they're putting the wastewater... Contaminated water, yeah. Exactly. And so what... The water that they do have left, I mean, is it, uh, what yeah. if it gets contaminated by this? Yeah, this is fracking. not good. Not good. Yeah. Uh, the Keystone XL pipeline is still um, lurking out there. But the and they're just, saying, yeah. it's very controversial, uh, if it's approved and built, the resulting amount of carbon emitted into the atmosphere could be up to four times greater than the U.S. State Department estimated. That's a new scientific paper that just came out, and um, they're saying if the pipeline's built, the reason behind that that increase um, is that they're they're saying more tar sands oil will likely be consumed because it'll make things move faster. Right. The, the, the demand will go up, but of course, the people behind the pipeline, those that support it, say. Well, with or without the pipeline, we'll be consuming that oil anyway. The tar sands will inevitably de- be developed. So 
you know, let's just do it. So, mm. no, I say no. I say no. That's three and books. Just, no, I'm, that should we kill just it. Need to come up with other things like uh, solar. Yeah, lots of. Options. We saw some amazing windmills, by the way. Mm. Oh, like amazing the, windmills. There's I this, saw those photos. Right there was this, and that was only about half of that ridge. That was all, and they were huge because they were quite in the distance, but they were all operating. So, I would love to have solar panels on my house. So, if Keystone and these issues are important to you, go to 350.org and look up the People's Climate March coming up September 21st right. in New York City. That's right. Right. Looking right. for hundreds of thousands of people to well, let their voices be heard. and You'll, you'll have to go and rep us, Paul, because um, we'll be in Hawaii. That, that well, day. Green Diva Anna, who is one of our Green Divas in training, she said she's going to be there. She goes to school at Columbia in New York, so ah. she'll, she's planning to be there. And yep. she said she'll there represent us. There will be a lot of people. Work. Excellent. Yay, Lots Anna. So is there any encouraging news? Anything good? Yeah, give us some good news, Lynn. Uh, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Um, well, protests in Mexico finally paid off, and Monsanto's permit to plant ge- genetically modified crops over more than like 625,000 acres was withdrawn because of uh, the scientific evidence about GM soy crops and their threat to honey production. Hmm. And the reason that's a big thing is because Mexico is the world's sixth biggest producer and the third largest exporter of honey. And because they export a lot to Europe, and Europe won't accept anything that has more than like 0.9% of GM pollen, they just, they're like, good. Okay, we we can't, we can't jeopardize that. Okay, score. Chalk chalk one up for the non-GMO. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Well, we have like less than a minute. Anything last minute that you want to say? Uh, <laughs> peace. No. Um, peace I will out. have an action item out there. Say no to the Keystone XL pipeline. And um, there's also a little bit of good news I'll say really quick is that there has been a surge in humpback whales and great whites. I can't talk now. Great. Maybe I should have stopped while I was at Great white sharks? <laughs> No. Off of New York and New Jersey coastlines. Yeah, it's not not really good for some of the swimmers that are terrified. Well, no, but... it's only it's they're attributing it to cleaner water. But it is good news, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, exactly. thank you, Green Diva Lynn. Everybody, go thank look you. for her report and stay tuned. Lots more coming. Get all the details from this Green Divas My Earth 360 report and lots more on thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com, and myearth360.com. And remember to tell truth and shop good at truegoods.com. Vibrant Health and Beauty radiates from the inside out. Get your glow on with Green Diva's health and beauty tips from natural skincare to creating healthier habits that make us sparkle. Wow, I am glad we're back talking to John David, who is also known as the Mafia hairdresser. He's a green guy, green salon guy, and um, he's also now the founder of, wait a minute, you just told me, um, the Made in Chicago Speakers Bureau? That is correct. 
How cool is that? Hi, John David. Hi, Meg. Nice to talk to you again. So I think today you're going to talk to us a bit about all the toxins that we want to avoid in shampoos and conditioners and hair products. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to list a few and maybe lead a, you know, ignite uh, the public to say, hey, you know, let's let's do some letter writing or let's do some action on having those products removed or those chemicals, I should say, removed out of shampoos. And excellent, excellent. Because us hairdressers can't just do it alone. Right. We, we still use those toxins. I, you know, we're all hypocrites and we still use them because they still work, but they can make better products out there. Well, and actually, I mean, you're exposed, you're, it's one thing for me to wash my hair, but for you to wash 20 people's hair a day or whatever, whoever is doing the hair washing in the salon is exposed to a lot more of these things, right? Right. Yeah. uh, For hairdressers, we have our hands and we're shampooing your hair and we might have something like a, a DEA, which is a dio Sonolamine, let's just call it DEA, is in a shampoo conditioner, and it, it's got phosphates and softeners and, and things built around it chemically, and those get in our hands and soften our hands, but it also irritates our hands. After a while, a lot of us hair shampooers um, become uh, sensitive to even water. I even had that happen to myself one time. Wow. And uh, luckily, it miraculously went away, but... Um, some of us are not so uh, fortunate. So those chemicals are, are definitely getting on us as well. Mm, wow. So tell us what it is we do need to avoid that may be fairly common in, in shampoos, even maybe the natural ones that say, quote, natural on them, and, and what we can do about it. Well, let's, let's just look at a few and say BEA is bad. Those are, are irritants and, of course, irritation on the body creates a big seed cancer. We know all irritation, whether it's in our stomach and our mouth from smoking and, or even shampoos in your hands, irritations are bad, especially if they get in your mucous membranes. And DEA, you want to look at that in your in your shampoos and face creams too. Formaldehyde, yeah, we don't need it. We don't yeah. need it in a lot of products. Um, and, but yet they use it to fight bacteria in our products so, it's, so, it's, so we don't have to throw them out. Well, all right. That's not good. And, of course, perfumes are the easiest ones to avoid in our shampoos and conditioners. Yes, we go, oh, we want to buy it because of fragrance. There's plenty of lovely natural fragrances out there that you can even add yourself, the natural oils. Right. But perfumes uh, are just way over the top in so many shampoos and conditioners that they're just irritating our eyes, our skin. And, again, irritation leads to the big C. We don't want to have a lot of those in our, in our You know, I had a shampoo that I used because my regular one wasn't available in the health food store, and I tried this other one, and I literally, the smell was felt toxic, like it was burning my nose, even though I know that this was supposed to be this nice herbal smell, it wasn't. It was like, this is painful. Why am I doing this? Well, you know, that, that, that leads to natural versus not natural. You kind of have to be a good consumer. And you're going to have to try a few products. It's, it might be a little waste of money here and there. But the problem is it natural sometimes can be overpowering in fragrance and not a good fragrance. So there's no good or bad. It's all individual. But sometimes they can be overpowering. 
And, of course, uh, that can cause allergies, just like a, a grass or a tree or flowers outside can. You know, we, uh, we can develop sensitivities to that fragrance. So do so you have any products that you recommend that are a little cleaner and, and safer to work with? Well, I like I like some of the big companies. What they're they're being forced to uh, look at their greenness, and they're being forced to look at how healthy they are. Even the big manufacturers like L'Oreal are are having to address and make some better products. Oh, even good. Care um, I I do like Aquash, but I, it seems to be a very non-irritating. It does have some of these chemicals that I would say don't agree with us, but Aquage is a really cute little line that is very water-soluble. They found a very easy way to mix uh, the product with water, so they're super water-soluble, super concentrated. It's been one of my favorites for a while. Renee Furter is just a wonderful line. It can also be a little bit too fragrant for some people, yeah, as yeah. we were talking about. And, of course, um, we use Kerastoff in the in the salon where I work at, Joseph Michael Salon and Spa. It is not perfect. It is you know, I don't want to say they don't test on animals. I don't want to say it's, it's pure. But, you know, we use it because it works and it makes the hair do what we want it to do. But I'm always telling people, please emulsify that product in your hand before you put it on. Put it on a little drop, emulsify it. So you're not getting big concentrate, concentrations of product on your hair. Right. And again, it goes back to the hypocriticalness of our industry. But you as a consumer, write the companies, um, join organizations that are... are uh, asking them to remove these products out of our um, shampoos, conditioners, and hair colors. What a great idea. And, you know, we've, we're finding that, that consumers are making a difference, um, you know, the, be, between the Internet and all the the ways that we can reach to people. Um, we, we have a voice, and we vote with our dollars. Don't buy it if it's, uh, it's GreenDivas.com is one of the best, I, I have to say, and I'm so honored to with you because you have you lead people to different organizations whether it could be uh, healthchild.org or saferchemicals.org right. you, yeah. you kind of point the fingers and say hey go over there if you're really concerned and you know if you're going to have a lifetime and you can do one thing you can remove one toxic uh, chemical out of a shampoo you had a good life so you know get on that bandwagon and do some good and Aww. I will say um Thegoodguide.com is a is a nice nice uh, uh, website that you can go to and look at uh, chemicals in your shampoos, conditioners, your popular brands as well. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, and I appreciate getting caught up a bit. And hopefully, we'll talk again soon about another cool green salon related product. I mean, uh, I would love to be back, Meg. Thank product you so much. I meant topic. Ah! <laughs> All right, John David, have a great day. You too, Meg. Thank you so much for having me. Are you sparkling yet? Well, you will be. For information on this segment and lots of other healthy green living information, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. No one ever said you had to give up style to be a green diva or dude. Check out this Green Divas eco-style segment for all the latest trends in sustainable, ethical, gorgeous eco-style. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm really glad we finally get a chance to speak to Star Vartan. Did I say that right, Star? I know you just told me, and for some reason I feel like I screwed it up. No, that's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> She's the founder and editor of EcoChick.com, and we love her work. And we're going to talk to her today a bit about eco-fashion and you know, some interesting statistics to help us understand why it's more important than you think to consider buying organic clothing and responsibly made clothing. So tell us, tell us a little bit about how this, this topic came to you, Star. Well, this is a topic I've been covering for quite some time. The um, advantages of eco-fashion are many, of course. Probably the biggest advantage is to the workers who are creating our clothing. So those people are exposed to um, about 500, and, there's about 550 types of dyes that contain about 3,000 chemicals. Oh, my gosh. Contain, um, you know, carcinogens, hormone disruptors, heavy metals, all that, you know, fabulous stuff that we've done a pretty good job of uh, eliminating, outlawing, or at least minimizing in the United States. But, you know, other countries where most of our clothes are made, they're not doing such a great job. Um, they may have laws on the books. Uh, to outlaw these things or to minimize their use, but, you know, you can have a law in the books and it always depends on whether that law is actually enforced, right? Right, so right. If, if one of these countries has the law, awesome, but is it being enforced? And that's something that Greenpeace has looked at and kind of has found to be, even in the West, something that is not checked into as closely as we would all like. And so... We have these people who are creating the clothing, um, being exposed to these chemicals. You know, mothers, oftentimes young women. And sometimes children, right? Yes, yes. And and places where it's, you know, the worst, you know, little kids whose bodies are still developing. Um, So, you know, one of the strongest arguments for eco-fashion is um, making sure that these chemicals are reduced or eliminated. and, you know, we vote with our dollars, so how can we vote more effectively to protect these people in other countries? Um, you know, there's labor rights violations like we saw with Rana Plaza and actual um, fires happening and building collapses and things like that, which is, of course, you know, safety sort of encompasses more than just toxic chemicals. But, you know, toxic chemicals are a little bit more insidious. They're a little bit less sort of sexy in terms of, yeah. you know, you don't have a big dramatic event around which to focus. No, you just have people who are getting very ill over a period of time, maybe dying young, having um, children that have all kinds of problems. I mean, really, it's it's very sad. Yeah, and and these are places also where record-keeping about people being affected by toxic chemicals may not be great, and health care may be minimal or not available at all. So, you know, tracking this stuff isn't even very easy. So, yeah, so this is something that most people don't think about when they're buying a T-shirt or a you know, pair of jeans. They're like, hey, man, you know, well, how, how, how does it fit me and, you know, what does it cost? Exactly. And so these are literally hidden costs. These are costs we're not going to see. And these are things we should absolutely be thinking about. And this is why eco-fashion does matter oftentimes. Those of us that, who, who are involved in doing this work are told that this is sort of a frivolous thing. And, you know, with fashion being the third largest industry in the world yeah. um, and, and having a huge impact on people, especially in countries where there are few or no regulations, 
um, it, it's definitely the furthest thing from frivolous. Right, right. No, and uh, if it were your children or your daughters that were in that field getting sick and, you know, whatever, you you would care and you would think it's not frivolous at all. Yeah, and interestingly, that's kind of where some of the, the best pushback is coming from. Um, so the last few years, Greenpeace is part of their detox campaign, which is an international campaign that's really fantastic in terms of getting down to the nitty-gritty of what's in our clothes, including, you know, the clothes that, that we, you and me, and anyone shopping um, at regular, you know, uh, let's see here, Burberry, Disney, Gap, H&M, Nike, Puma, Uniqlo are some of the brands that um, Greenpeace has found that actually did have high levels of toxic chemicals in their finished products as well. Oh, so, in the finished you know, not products. Just affecting, yeah, not just affecting the people who are making it and obviously their water supplies that are getting polluted with this junk, um, but also potentially us. And so all of a sudden now we're, you know, paying a little bit more attention. Um, uh. So, you know, I, I had been having a conversation with friends with a friend about organic foods, you know, how and why has this been so successful and eco-fashion hasn't? And, you know, she said, it's a great argument to make that these people are being poisoned, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, you could make that same argument for organic food. And I posited that the reason that organic food, besides having a longer track record, I mean, right. people have really been focused on organics for a good 40 years. And, and you know, let's not forget those people in the 60s and 70s who made an incredible foundation for all of the good stuff that's happening now. But, you know, it's, so eco-fashion doesn't quite have that. Um, but it does have the other aspect, which is I'm putting this potentially hazardous thing in my body right. um, when you're eating a food, as opposed to I'm putting this potentially hazardous thing on my body, which <laughs> is a piece of clothing, right? Right. And people think, well, gee, that's probably not that big of a deal. Um, but it is. Uh, so there are legal safety limits for um, clothing and shoes and accessories that are imported to the U.S. Um, and, you know, other Western countries. Uh, but mostly those, those legal limits uh, on chemicals are found to be exceeded often. And, you know, of course, like everything, only a small proportion are ever tested to yeah, begin with. Right. Um, a really good example is that children's shoes from China intercepted at Seattle were found to contain three times the acceptable amount of lead. Um, and think about, you know, especially things that go close to your body, especially things like shoes. Yeah. You're, you know, you're wearing those, you're sweating. That is absolutely, you know, going um, into your skin, which is your body's largest organ, yeah. and right into your body. Um, wow. So... What I'm trying to get to here is that maybe we can convince people, if we can't convince them that they should care about eco-fashion because of people in far-off countries potentially getting ill, um, maybe we can, like organic foods, convince them on the selfish angle. This might hurt you or your kids, especially. Uh, children wear a lot of this real junky, um, cheap stuff right. is directed, no, uh, like even no. phthalates, which... We know are, are bad. I mean, phthalates are, are very commonly found in kids' clothing. All the plastic decals and plastic accessory thingies on, like, a shirt. Oh, um, uh, yeah. 
you know, we've outlawed them in, in some stuff for babies and kids, and then, you know, we may be dressing them in phthalate-laden clothing. So, <laughs> Wow. Um, well, this is really, I'm really glad you're, you're paying attention to this and helping us to understand it. I know uh, if folks go to EcoChick, they'll see lots of great information, ecochick.com, right? And I think you're going to do a post for us about this to go along with this podcast, which I'm really excited to see the post because I know you've got a lot of good information for us. Great. Yeah, I'd be happy to share. And I'll, I'll have links to you know the Screenpeace campaign and sort of what's happening. There are slowly changes being made to some of these regulations, but we've got to keep the pressure on us. Well, yeah, and let's do it. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again soon. Great. Thanks Th- so much, Meg. Thanks, Tar. Want to have sexy Green Diva style too? And learn more about low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green? Visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. Being green can be so sexy. Well, at least you can be sexy and keep it green. Check out the Green Divas Eco Sexy Podcast for ways to keep it green in the bedroom or wherever you like to have sex. Well, um, we have finally caught up with Stephanie Iris Weiss, who is the author of Eco Sex. And uh, she's also... um, a columnist on Eco Salon and does the sexual healing column. Hi, Stephanie. Hi there. How are you today? Very good. Very good. And um, we're going to talk, I think, a bit about... Well, you have a book, first of all. Just briefly mention your book, Eco Sex. Yes. And, you know, tell us just briefly what's what that's about, if it's not obvious to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty self-explanatory. It's eco-sex. Go green between the sheets and make your love life sustainable. And when people say, what's that about? I say, well, it's all right there <laughs> yeah. in the subtitle. Um, so eco-sex, in, in my vision of eco-sex, now there, it's, a, it's actually a, a developing sort of a whole universe of ideas that's spreading like wildfire on both coasts, and, and there are different people who look at it in different ways, the more theoretical. Mine is kind of the more holistic, hands-on approach to eco-sex. So it's about the ways in which you can make your sex life healthier, greener, and more holistic. All right. I like it, and obviously that's what us green divas are all about. <laughs> so today there's a topic that you said you get a lot of questions. That's, that's very often the first question someone will will ask you has to do with lubrication? Indeed, yes. That's one of the go-to questions that I get asked all the time by many different people from all walks of life. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about what what may be green or not green or healthy about different lubricants. Yeah. So, you know, so lube is one of those areas that when I was researching the book back in 2008-2009 before it came out in 2010, I was shocked and appalled to find out what was in the lube that was on the market. It was really, really just an awful, awful, I mean, you know, the worst of the worst in terms of poison, parabens, and many other chemical constituents. Petroleum-based, primarily? Petroleum-based and... 
definitely petroleum based. Yeah. All the you know really all like the worst offenders were in the really the only lubes that were available at that time. Um, your you know Astroglide and um, KY jelly. You know the the, the lubes that people were aware of were right. really poison. Right. Um, and in the years since I've written the book. Um, I'm thrilled to say that many, many healthy, green, organic, wonderful options have come on the market. So that's a real positive in this in this area. Um, but for people that are um, you know new to all things green um, and you know look in their in their uh, night table drawer and all they've got there is some Astroglide from God knows when. Right. Um, <laughs> I would suggest looking at the label. I mean, here's the thing: when it comes to personal care, more and more people are becoming aware of what not to use and what to avoid and how to look at labels and where to shop, but. Because in, in sex, we tend to be so full of shame and so sort of cut off from that whole area. It's like this shadowy place where right. all of us are sort of afraid to look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the last places that um, you really went green, and that is the, the case for lube. Um, you know, you know, and, and more and more people are willing to sort of look and talk about it and be open about it, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah. But... Um, so, so in terms of safe and healthy lube, um, what surprises a lot of people is that one of the one of the ingredients in a lot of common lubes, and even ones that purport to be non-toxic, is glycerin. Now, glycerin is not a poison on the level of you know of a paraben or um, you know something that right. is petroleum-based, and in and in other products, glycerin could be fine. But in a lube, actually, glycerin turns out to be very dangerous to a woman's body oh. because it, yeah, and, and people, I mean, it's, it's an amaz- it, it amazed me when I learned about this back when I was researching the book, um, that something that's so innocuous in so many ways is so dangerous for a woman's body. It right. strips the vagina of moisture. Oh, actually. dear. Yeah, so it's not helping at all. <laughs> no, it's the opposite of what you want to do with the lube. In fact, oh um, so yeah, so so that's one thing I would I would recommend that people look for if you're, you know, if you need lube and you all you have available to you is your drugstore to take a look at the ingredients and obviously you're going to avoid the parabens and the petroleum and other chemical constituents, but also try to avoid glycerin-based lubes because people are still making those. Now, are there say. are there any lubricants that you can grab that might be maybe in your kitchen? <laughs> I don't I'm just like thinking, you know, is coconut oil? Yeah, that's an excellent question and the answer is a resounding yes and yes please. <laughs> and I hope that people I hope that people would go to coconut oil which is just so good for so many things. It's right. a wonderful lube yet there's a big caveat with okay. that. Right. Um, and that is if you're using condoms for protection, um, latex condoms, which are, you know, that could be another conversation we can have about about birth control and right. what is a green what is a green birth control, but latex condoms are the safe best condoms out there, the greenest, and if you're using latex condoms with your partner for whatever reason, um, it is very, very dangerous to use any oil-based 
lubricant because you can destroy the condom. Oh, well, that's not good, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you're using other forms of birth control or you're not using birth control, it's absolutely fine to go for coconut oil. And if you're going to use some essential oils with it, just make sure they're not... um, you know, I would stay away from unless it's unless it, the, the product has been tested and made by somebody else, and you know that it's not going to sting or burn. I would yeah. stay away from like a cinnamon-based essential oil or oh something my, like yes. that. Oh my, yes, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> well, these are great ideas, and I think you're going to be doing a post for us on thegreendivas.com. Yes, indeed, I will. And in the meantime, people can go to your site, which is. Ecosex.net is my personal site. You can okay. just get to just about everything that I do from there. Right. Um, my Twitter is at Ecosexuality. You can find me on Facebook under Ecosex. And my weekly column, which posts on Saturdays, is Sexual Healing, and that is on Ecosalon.com. Excellent. Well, I'm I'm really glad you called. And yes, we have lots of more topics to talk about with you. So Perfect. everybody stay tuned and more is coming up. And we'll talk to Stephanie again soon. Thanks so much. Turned on yet? Well, go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. To learn more about this Green Diva's eco-sexy podcast and find other low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. The Green Divas get to talk to so many inspiring people who each in their own way is helping us find a deeper shade of green. Here's just one of them. Enjoy. I'm very, very interested to talk to these two gentlemen who are co-directors among several co-directors from what I understand, Brian Wilson and Jeremy Kaplan, who did a beautiful film called A Will for the Woods, which is all about green and natural burial following a gentleman named Clark Wang, I believe. Right, guys? Yeah, it's it's spelled Wang but pronounced Wong, actually. Okay. And I I happened to see the film – and I'm I'm sort of stunned. I mean, it's very beautiful. It's obviously a little sad because we we watch him go through his process of dying, but um, there's there's an element of natural beauty and hope built within it. And of course, he's an extraordinary man to allow us, like voyeurs, to watch. So I don't know which one of you wants to start, but tell us a bit about why you did this film. Yeah, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead since you came on before? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I basically met Amy Brown, who was the producer and one of the other four co-directors, um, at the very beginning, and we actually met um, sort of coincidentally through a friend, uh, a friend that went to the same university as we did. And um, Amy was actually working on what was at the time uh, a small short film for a student project. And as soon as I heard about the topic, and Amy had learned about green burial from her sister, actually, who was working, doing some research in Australia on the possibilities of doing green burial in Australia. And that idea really sparked Amy's imagination. And so when she was working on the short film, she started to look at what the movement was like in the United States. 
right. and was really curious to see if there was similar ideas going on here. And it turned out, actually, there was a whole lot more going on in the U.S. than there was in Australia. Yeah. And um, from that, we, we, we set out across the country and to follow the movement and, and really started with looking at the Green Barrel Council and looking at Joe Sihi. And we spent about a year going to different green burial sites and covering where the movement was going. And at that point, about a year into filming, we, we met Clark. And we happened to meet Clark actually through our conversations with Joe. Joe recommended that Joe Sihi, the head of the Green Barrel Council, recommended that we talk with Clark um, because he was this very compassionate advocate and was someone who was talking openly and frankly about uh, his funeral plan. Yeah, I have and to say, I just, I, to, I wanted to break in and talk about how extraordinary it was that at least on the sections that you filmed, he was really calmly and very, I don't know, analytically um, making arrangements for his own. And he was very passionate about making sure that he not add or contribute to pollution on the earth or in the environment in his passing. He, yeah, he became very passionate about that. And Joe Joe knew that before introducing us and knew that Clark was also eager to spread the word about Green Burial, which is why he hooked up our project and Clark. And um, pretty soon after meeting Jeremy and Amy, Clark felt comfortable and confident enough in them to invite them to stick with him um, you know, through, through, the, through the end. And, and I will say, because I, ha- I am a, a certified hospice volunteer, and I've been through this with both of my parents, that for people who have not experienced um, like a conscious dying process, if you will, because I mean, not everybody has cancer or dies of cancer in a way that you know what's coming. Some people just die suddenly. But, but, But walking through that process is such an intimate experience. And when I have worked with any families who've had dying members, you really feel like you are standing in one of the most intimate times of their lives, in fact. So ha- I, I have to ask how the experience was, uh, Jeremy, and you're, you're the director of photography as well. So you really were the lens into this, you know, very, very intense and, and intimate time in the, their lives. How, how was that for you? It was an incredibly emotional but also very, very powerful experience. And I feel like, in a way, um, working on the film, Amy and I and Tony and Brian as well, I feel like the same way too, even just being a part of the editing process, we, we feel like a, a common buddy or a bond with people who have been there at, at end of life um, with you know hospice workers or people in the funeral industry, and especially because we were so close with Clark and Jane and yeah. spent so much time, um, whether in the hospital with them or at Clark's home funeral and helping to prepare the body and, you know, just, just being around and, and organizing things and, um, and helping with some of the arrangements even because at a certain point throughout the filming, um, people look to us as sort of experts and uh, while we were there in the hospital, sort of Amy and I were a part of making the arrangements to make sure that Clark could get back home and that everything was done according to his wishes. And um, so it it really was just an incredibly powerful experience. And and a really, I think, 
enriching experience for me to be able to to see someone go through the process which with so much dignity yeah. and purpose yeah and um and and to really really face his own mortality and and with all the sort of nuance and trickiness of it and that he had um you know, he was fighting until the very end, but at the same time, um, beginning to gradually accept. Yeah. I'm not sure if everyone always, if you can totally, fully accept your mortality. But right. I, I think Clark did it in, in, in such a graceful way, and I, I hope the film sort of gives the audience a sense of that. No, and it, it does. It absolutely does from my, my humble opinion and perspective. Now, Jeremy, are you camera boy? Because at some yeah. point he turned to the camera at the airport and said, all right, camera boy, and it looked like he gave you a hug or something. Yeah, yeah. Clark, Clark and I, and Clark was so close with Amy as well, too. And, um, yeah, it was a special bond. And, um, you know, he really opened himself up to us. And we spent so much time off camera Sure. Delving into his life and learning everything about him. And, you know, he's this amazing Renaissance man. Yeah. He plays all these instruments, dances polka, loves Legos. And, like, we had all this stuff that we wanted to show about Clark. And, and we feel like the film does a great job of encompassing his, his rich personality. Well, it does. Now, Brian, had you ever experienced end of life with anybody in, in your world? Yes, my mom passed away in 2008 after 12 years of um, what were at first called benign brain tumors. They were meningiomas, but hers proved to be atypical oh. and kept coming back. Oh, she so had five sorry. surgeries over 12 years and, and then and passed away in 2008. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I didn't know about... Well, I, I had caught the tail end of a radio show uh, about Green Burial prior to her passing away, but it was just sort of in the back of my mind. Um, I didn't, didn't really know about it, and so she she had requested cremation, and um, so that's what we did. But looking back, I think, oh, it would have been nice to give her a Green Burial. Well, you know, it is a relatively new concept. We've been talking to on and off over the last few years with a woman who calls herself the Green Reaper. Her name is Elizabeth Fournier, and she's out in uh, Boring, Oregon, and uh, she has a book called All Men Are Cremated Equal, which she's a very funny and very eloquent woman uh, who's a funeral director and is one of the, I think, leading folks, at least on the West Coast up there, that is doing this kind of thing. And every state is different. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys learned that, you know, not all states have the same laws, some... Over, you guys were in the Carolinas. Yes. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. Mostly North Carolina, and, and as well, we made trips all over. I mean, we we were on the West Coast as well, and there there's scenes of cemeteries out on the West Coast and in the Midwest. Um, but most of the story is focused with Clark's situation in right. North Carolina. Right. Well, that opening scene was beautiful, and I won't spoil it for anybody, <laughs> but it was so beautifully done. I I, I really um, – I just thank you guys for, for doing this film and, and for Jane, who must have been very hard. Now, were you guys – there's a scene, and, and again, I don't want to spoil anything. It's not like there's a big you know mystery here, but were you actually filming when he died? Were you there with her? And him when he we died? actually that that was a really interesting and, and difficult moment. Um, 
we actually decided, Amy and I decided not to film the yeah. filming during his last moments. Yeah. Um, so what you actually see in the film is, is really the last intimate moments with, with Clark and Jane. Um, yeah. Because when Clark actually passed away, his his sibling and a few other friends were in the, in the room. And um, but we just felt like that moment yeah. was so beautiful between Clark and Jane. And a lot of people who have seen the film through film festivals have commented on that even in the sterileness of the hospital, how much warmth and intimacy there is. Um, oh, yeah. And, and the feeling of, you know, some people saying they, they wish they could have taken moments like that with loved ones that they saw pass away in the hospital. And so I hope in a way, you know, that that scene, the film helps people to realize that they have, they can take more advantage and, and be more intimate and, and ask for these sort of things, even if it's taking place in a hospital. And Absolutely. And I, 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 I really thank this Jane, um, who also led everybody into her world, which had to be very painful, very painful time for her, but also a very mindful. Both of them were very uh, mindful. Um, gosh, I, it's, it's, it, it leaves you a little speechless. And with so much going on, I mean, Robin Williams, and then, of course, I'm thinking about my own parents. And I guess many people are going to have their own feelings and their own experiences attached to this or their own fears or whatever. But I'll tell you, if I... If I had fear about dying, I think this film also helps alleviate some of that and and just, I don't know, you know, I'm sure I'm just not making any sense anymore. I'll be quiet. Well, that's that's the the best thing we can hear. We're so happy and proud, and and, and we think of Clark, too, and how much he wanted to, to do that for people. So I'm so happy that you can say that, having watched the film. Oh, good. Well, uh, I know that the film is opening in New York uh, uh, on the 15th of August, which, you know, if, if you hear this podcast, this podcast this week and you're in the area, you can go, right? Correct? Yeah, and it's running for a week. It'll be six shows a day, Friday through Thursday, the 15th through the 21st, Village East on 2nd Avenue and 12th Street. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, I I thank you all for taking, and it must have taken some time to do this because obviously the film begins when he's, you know, seems to be doing reasonably well. And then, of course, there, you know, over time things change. Um, so I imagine that this was kind of a a lot of time in your lives to take. But, but you know, um, how, and now I'm curious, how, how many months did, did you work on this film? months um 40 about 48 months <laughs> yeah wow. actually even even more than that I, I, we're coming up on sort of five years in october of like the first time that amy and i sat down to talk about um working on sort of a, a seed that would become a will for the woods wow. so it's it, it's been a while and, and also we've we've been on the film festival circuit playing yes. all over the u.s for uh, a number of months as well, but yeah. we sort of finished the film in the last few months. Right. Well, and but I yeah, have it was, to. S- it was over four a four year endeavor all told, and and two about two and a, three years of that, two and a half years of that was was um, after Tony and I came on. Well, and um, so many. I, I just I think almost every film festival you've been to, you've won an award, and I'm just telling people. It is. It's a very very powerful, beautiful film that I think everybody should watch. 
Thank you. We, uh, hope, we hope to share it far and wide, and it'll be available online and DVD at the end of the year as well. Well, when we it is, you will let us know, and we'll make sure to let our audience know how they can find it if they can't get to New York or to any of the other theaters. But they can go to awillforthewoods.com. Right. And they can probably, you know, folks go there and check up on when and where the film is coming out and uh, learn a little bit about this because, you know, I don't think we have to be so terrified. Uh, it's a natural part of life. We all go through it. And why not make an effort to, you know, it, you know, and if you're listening to the show, you probably are trying not to pollute the earth. So, you know, do whatever right. you can. Yeah, it's a great way to sort of integrate, reintegrate death into the cycle of life. Aww. Well, thanks. And Go ahead. I just want one last thing. I just I think what's really beautiful also about Green Burial is that, in a way, it helped Clark and other people in the film, like Diane as well, the sanitarian who helped Clark with his wish to to save a tract of forest. Um, they started out not necessarily as the most environmental friendly people and yeah. from green burial came back and looked at their daily life and i think there's a way in which because of thinking about this as your last act and what that statement means it gets people to reprioritize and look at the rest of their lives and, and think about how if you don't want to go out or what the message is that you're leaving with your last act and then what is the message in your everyday life yeah, you and could... what it what are you doing and, and how much resources are you using and all of that stuff that um, it really, I feel like, is a, is a very life-changing decision. And, um, and, it, and I think Clark is a great example of that, and he's inspired many more people to sort of make that decision and, and then rethink a lot of other things in their life. Well, I mean, he had a – not that he didn't have a million purposes because, as you said, he's a Renaissance man, but it did – seem to give them as a couple and maybe some people around them and uh, a focus and, and a really powerful one, and why not? Right. Why I'm glad, not? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to mention that before when you asked about what was it like, for, do we think it was like for Clark and Jane to invite the film into their lives? And I think that was, um, it was part of, the, it, it did give them purpose in a, in a, in a kind of you know, very frustrating situation that might have otherwise seemed without meaning it gave some real focus and purpose to well right on right on and um again i want to recommend people go find a way to see this film a will for the woods thank you so much jeremy and brian for all your efforts and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon we hope so yeah thank you for having us on the show i'm glad we did hope you enjoyed that as much as they did Please visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. For more fun podcasts and information on the Green Divas and low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You've been listening to the Green Divas Radio Show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com.